Welcome to the Comics Corner. This is John. I We are here, Matthew Klein and I are here, um, joining you for part two of our crime comics discussion. Um, part one of this was two weeks ago, and we discussed Gotham Central by Ed Brubaker, uh, Greg Rucka, and Michael Lark. And we are back and better than ever with one of the premier comic book characters um, in a very, um, in, two, in two graphic novels, which I actually love and adore because they were everything that I wanted from this character. Um, Matthew just read them for the first time. And that is Catwoman um, by, uh, it's Genevieve Valentine with art by Gary Brown and art by David Messina. Um, I'm so excited to be back here talking with you, John. I know. It it's, feels like forever. It's been, it's been a minute, hasn't it? So, <laughs> no, I, I, you know, I'm still abuzz after our last conversation on Gotham Central. I hope uh, the listeners really enjoyed it and have gone out and bought the entire series, not just the first book. Um, please, as always, like give us feedback on, on if you've gotten to read this on our socials. And I was so excited because last time was my recommendation. This time is yours. And yes, I, I have read Catwoman uh, on and off for many years. I am a huge fan of the Darwin Cook, Selena's Big Score, mm -hmm. um, the Ed Brubaker and Paul Pope and what have you run after that as well. I've gone back and read some of the stuff from the 90s, the 80s, the 70s, but I had never read uh, the run by Genevieve Valentine from 2015. So I thank you for that. I'm very thank excited you. to talk on it. Yes. So as always, spoiler alert is in effect. Um, we try to keep it as vague as possible so that we don't spoil anything for you. But we but fail we, miserably, let's be honest. We fail miserably, but we also have to give you enough to let you know that you should <clears throat> go to your local comic book store and buy this. Um, you can find a local comic store near you by going to comicshoplocator.com, enter in your zip code, and it will give you a comic shop near you. Um, there are two volumes in this that we are going to be talking about today. Um, so it's a very isolated part of uh, the Catwoman um, series from 2011 to 2016, I believe. Um, so you can go and grab them, but please do support your local comic shops, um, which is something that I don't think we got enough of in the last crimes corner i feel like no we, probably... we talked for over an hour but we never actually said that one psa that we should have which is please always go support your local comic shop they are believe it or not they are the heartbeat of your neighborhood in many ways um and during these incredibly difficult times um shopping local has become more important than ever yes um so i guess this is part two of the crime comic corner the comic crime corner the corner. Comic crime corner. The CCC. It's the triple C. Yeah. Triple C. C cubed. <laughs> um, okay. So let's start out, shall we? So we start out with this. Um, you start with what? We start out the story with uh -huh. Selena in charge of one of Gotham City's crime families. 
The Calabrese. Um, the Calabreses. Um, and you can jump in with this anywhere. As I say, it's connected to the DC universe. You can Wikipedia anything that you really need to know, but quite frankly, I wasn't reading Batman at the time. It gave me all of the information that I needed right in there, which I think is an incredibly important um, and increasingly more difficult thing to do with comics, but that's a... We well, we'll touch that. on that a little bit here. Yeah. Don't you worry. Yeah. Um, but oh, are we going to shit on continuity in comics? You bet we are, people. Don't you worry. <laughs> That's coming. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but it opens up with Selena in charge of the Calabrese crime family um, and trying to go back to the idea of what organized crime originally was, which was profit, but not at the cost of the city. Um, as one of the mobsters says later in the series, you can't get blood from a stone. Actually, I think she says that now that I say that, now that I think of that. I mean, I she is a mobster in the series. So I that's mean, true. It's still, it still works. That is you true. You were still 100% correct, John. Um, and this brings, uh, throughout the series, we see a brand new cat woman. We get a canonically bisexual Selena Kyle. Um, we see... Batman die, but not really die. Um, and we see Bruce Wayne with a beard, which not gonna lie, kind of dig him with the beard. Um, you know, Bruce Wayne's just helping out at the local rec center, you know, yeah. wearing wearing a plaid shirt. He's got a he's got a relaxed beard. He's got not quite a Ted Cruz beard going on, a little bit more lumberjack than the old Teddy is doing right now. Yeah. Um so, um, but he's looking very relaxed for Bruce Wayne. He is. At, at this point, he had amnesia, uh, if I remember correctly, and he had lost his entire fortune thanks to the events of a uh, Batman that were going on. So again, that's like the fourth time he's lost his fortune. Well, I mean, it's a very you know, it, like most characters, you have to go and change up the status quo, right? So, I mean. How many times looking at Selena in her history, Selena has been killed multiple times. Selena has gone straight multiple times. Selena has become part of gang wars multiple times. And then she'll inevitably go back to being a jewel thief at some point, you know? So it's, it's you got to shake up the status quo. And you think if you haven't done it in five years, you could do it again. That yes. is the nature, the cyclical nature of long form serialized storytelling. Yes. There's now, no what, new ideas. <laughs> there, as Tony Kushner says in Angels in America, it's all been done before. That's something you learn after your second theme party. Um, but I, so one of the reasons that I love this book is it's not a particularly superhero heavy book. It becomes more superhero heavy as it goes along, but it starts out um, where I love Selena, which is out of costume and in a very morally gray situation. Um, she's a mafioso she boss. She's a mafioso boss, um, but she is trying to do right by Gotham City. Um, and she also finds herself in a situation where she now has other people that she has to be responsible for, which is not generally a situation that Selena finds herself in. Um, she has very much been portrayed as kind of a solo character 
um, without a lot of family, um, with the exception of her brother, Carl, um, who became the Cat King back in the 1950s, and her sister, Maggie, um, who has been- Poor Maggie. Poor Maggie. Maggie's been Maggie's, through a lot. Maggie's been through so much. And, and we will deal with one of the characters that put Maggie through so much uh, in a previous continuity yes. um, in this story as well. Um, yes. It also really fascinatingly um, brings in a lot of other powerful women in charge throughout history. Um, Queen Elizabeth I, um, Lucretia Borgia, um, oh, what was her name? There are several other empresses um, in there who have been in situations where they are leading in, you know, a male-dominated society and doing it quite well, and yet at the same time finding it really difficult because of the restraints that's, that the male-dominated society has put on them. Um, so yeah. And what's fascinating is you, you start in a position with Selena who, uh, Selena is out of costume, she's given up the moniker Catwoman and is devoting herself full-time to being the head of this crime family and this was clearly a very new revelation for her that she was the birthright to head this organization. Um, and she spends, the, the book does a wonderful job kind of setting up. I, I liken this book sort of to Godfather Part Two, um, you know, wherein Michael Corleone, like Selena in many ways, is inheriting a crime empire, but wants to go legit with it. And Selena, in many ways, you see her doing what the mafiosa in many ways was founded to do, which is to help the community. She's building schools, she's building education centers, she's building the, the rec center that I believe Bruce Wayne works in. I think she's responsible for partly funding and getting off the ground. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, she's trying to unite all the families and the bloodshed, go legit, um, but also prove to everybody that she deserves this birthright and to learn what this birthright means. And to do so, as you say, in a very male dominated field um, and to do so with the responsibility, she now has responsibilities to other people, but she also has to rely on people which is a very big thing. And this is where you upend the true status quo of Selena Kyle, which is Selena Kyle has always been a solo operator. She is, you know, very carefree. And now she is learning what the meaning of family is as much as the meaning of responsibility. Yeah. And there's a lot of secrets going on here. Um, I will say- As this, with any good mafia story. As with any good mafia story. Although I should probably admit to you that I've never seen any of the Godfather films. Um, so I, It's okay, you're just dead to me now. It's fine. I, I just can't, hey now, I think I own the book somewhere. In, somewhere I've never read in, the book, so that's fair. Somewhere <laughs> in the pile. I, I haven't read it. I just think I own it somewhere. Um, it, I have a shelf of those very thick books that I'm supposed to have read, but I never did. You know, like that. One day when you retire. All of those things. When I retire and I get my full eight hours of reading every day. Exactly. Um, instead of just on the weekends. Um, what of, but one of the things that I love about this book is, um, I'm going to go out of the genre here and say one of the things that I loved about it is 
it does what I think Game of Thrones did best, which is not involve dragons or not involve magic or not involve, you know, the White Walkers, but it was very much the politics, the betrayals, the friends who become enemies, the enemies who become friends. There's a lot of juggling of family. Um, it's of world building. Yeah. You know, it's, it's really fantastic world building wherein you have a ton of different crime families and they all have different neighborhoods and they all have different strengths and they all have different, you know, schemes and, you know, operations that they specialize in, whether it's drug trade or construction or union breaking or what have you. And, and it's a lot of, to your point, it's a lot of different moving parts to keep track of, but the pacing of this book makes each character feel a bit, you know, distinct in that way. So you remember them, not because there's a caption for who they are, but because they are characters, you know, yeah. they, they stand out. And it, it steals a little page from the 1960s character, Modesty Blaze, um, who I don't know how you're familiar, how familiar you are with her. I know of the character. I've never actually read any Modesty Blaze though. Okay. So when the original Modesty Blaze series opened, she had retired after running a criminal network for years and years and years, became very wealthy and kind of retired. But the thing about this sort of criminal network was it had a couple of rules. For a Modesty Blaze, it was no drugs, no prostitution, no trafficking. For Selena, it's very much she's there's there's a couple of issues that focus on um, the idea of her trying to get guns and drugs out of Gotham City and putting herself in a position of of real danger by figuring out how to do that while at the same time fulfilling the crime family obligations um, and of course Batman gets involved and Batman is just Batman and can't trust anybody. No. And, you know, she Batman? says. Trust issues? What do you mean? I know. Oh, it's like, girl, get some therapy. Let's be very uh, clear. Batman is the villain of everyone else's story except his own. I know. Well, yeah, that's true. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it very much is. Yeah. I just want to, <laughs> I, I just want to like, you know, it's that, it's that like 80s, very special episode where everything could be solved with a hug and like a, some homemade brownies. That's just how I feel about Batman. I'm like, come on in. Let's have Look, some brownies. Let's be very clear. Top. Batman could be solved with therapy. With good yeah. therapy, Batman would be fine. But um, <laughs> instead of going in and trying to screw up Selena doing the right thing uh, by whatever means she's at her disposal in the moment there. Yeah. Um, um, and she says, you know, you have to just stay out of this. Let me, let me do this before I, you try to undo, before you undo some, before you do something that I can't undo. And I like also the fact, I'm going to throw this one in there as well. I like the fact that Selena um, knows things that she's not supposed to know. There's a member of her family who is a police informant. Um, and when it's revealed, and she says, I know. So it's kind of like, yeah, I like a, I like a, how does she put it? I like a safety. Uh, it's a on, check and balance. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, I safe, like a check. No, no, a safety power. on the gun. A safety on the gun is the fun way she describes it. She also calls it a check on, on the balance because she's 
she's very aware that absolute power corrupts absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so she has no, one of the great things about Selena, is she's very self-aware. She's mm-hmm. incredibly self-aware about her flaws and her weaknesses and her liabilities. And so a police informant inside is not a bad thing to her because she understands that there is a purpose that that does um, and that there is a relationship between the mafia and the police that you have to keep at a certain level in order for there to be productive movement um, on your operations. Like you can't have one without the other. They wouldn't know what to do with themselves. So it's, you know, it's unfortunately criminal element must, the the book kind of makes an argument that the criminal element must exist um, as much as the police element on some level must exist. You know, there, there has to be two sides of this coin and to keep each other in check and balance on some level. And that's a, an interesting take on it. And she certainly is open to that. Um, I really think she's a bit of a libertarian at heart, is Selena? Um, I think so, probably. Um, Honestly, I, otherwise, I think she's a Republican, like an old school Republican, but. Uh, I don't know about that. I feel like, she, well, I, I think from a fi- from a financial standpoint, from financial standpoint, from like yeah, economic policy, yes, definitely not social policy. I think foreign policy as well. I think she would absolutely be yeah. a, a, a hawk. You know, I can sense. see that. Um, but I love. I also love that sort of the main villain of the piece doesn't show up until about a quarter to a halfway through the book. It's true. It's true. Like it takes a, it's, you're, you're so focused on the juggling act, you mm-hmm. know, that she's doing. And that's really presented as, as a big conflict that's going on. And then suddenly you finally get your rival crime boss coming in there to really muck everything up and, and how that goes. Yeah. And when he strikes at Selena, he strikes hard. As he has a history of doing. Yes. Um, also, I, and I, I want to get to that in a second, but one of the things that keeps popping up in this book uh, every time I read it, and this again is one of those ones that I go back and reread fairly regularly, I love the fact that there is this dissonance between Selena talking about Selena and Selena talking about herself as Catwoman and how she misses both of them. And it's not in this sort of strange schizophrenic way. It's in this way of, I would imagine, I can't truly speak to this, but it's sort of in the way I almost feel like actors when they get really lost in a part, kind of have this thing where they go, oh, well, there's this this part of me that's, that's, that's missing that I don't get to indulge in anymore and how much she misses that and how much she kind of denies herself that. Um, And again, it's not done in this sort of schizophrenic way. It's sort of done in this way of um, my, my personal life, my, you know, my life as this crime boss doesn't use me up the way it should. I miss running around on rooftops. I miss running all these things. And it's not really until she begins to combine the two that you sort of see her, I feel like come into her own completely. Well, it's it's that it's that kind of you know journey of 
it's kind of that um, journey of self-discovery that you have wherein you, you have identified yourself in certain terms for so long that you don't realize who you are under different circumstances and you're not sure of who you are. And then suddenly your status quo changes and you're forced to learn a whole other side of yourself. And then in some ways you have to, you have to reconcile that, you know, and it's, it's, you know, I almost, uh, I almost put it to a relationship. Okay. So, you know, if, if you've been in a relationship for many, many, many years, and then suddenly you're single, you don't really remember who you were as an individual before that relationship at that point. Like who you were then is not who you were by the end of that relationship. So you kind of have to rediscover yourself yeah. on your own. But then when the next relationship comes around, you then reconcile this newfound knowledge of yourself with who you've been in a relationship and you, you know, you have that new level of yourself and you are probably a more complete person at that point. That's sort of what she goes with her relationship with Catwoman, her relationship with her, her idea as a family member, as a daughter, as a crime boss, like it's all part and parcel of these things where she's shedding one skin and in trying on another realizes she can have both. And that's a really cool thing. You don't have to sacrifice one part of yourself. You can have it all, which yeah. is a very empowering message. So that, that reminded me of one of my favorite novels, which is The Weekend by Peter Cameron. Um, and this one particular character starts dating. He, he had a lover for many years. The lover died. And he Poor goes... Lover. I'm sorry? Poor lover. Yeah, well, it's a lot of... It's a lot of uh, people dying in, in books by queer, queer writers from the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s. Um, but he writes, um, anyway, he goes to um, visit the lover's brother and wife with a new boyfriend that he's literally just met. And he, he's watching this new boyfriend interact. And he says, I'm paraphrasing and I'm butchering it but he says something to the effect of, um, uh, you know, I hope I like this new Robert as I see him interacting with other people, as I see him, you know, become a more complete person. And I hope I like these other sides of him as much as I like the side that seemed whole when it only faced me. And it's really, sorry, um, I see the the parallel here is that yeah. you've got you've got Selena who, you know, has identified as being Catwoman now is identifying as being a Calabresi, Calabresi, Calabresa, I don't know, um, and is identifying herself and is seeing Selena as heir apparent, is seeing Selena as a cousin, is seeing Selena as a sister, is seeing her as a boss. Um, and, you know, and, and she, she needs to get to know those versions of Selena, as it were, throughout the story. And she does. And, and what's fascinating, too, is that there are so many parallel characters in here. Her cousin Antonia, who probably should be the head of the family, but wasn't next in line, right? And has been overlooked for many, many, many years because she's a woman. And then you have, 
the rival crime family's daughter, uh, Elko, Aiko? Uh, Aiko. Aiko. E-I-K-O. Uh, whose, whose father minimizes her and sees her at, for the Hasegawa um, crime family and whose father minimizes her and sees her only as a tool um, and sees her as strong-willed but misguided, you know, because that is generally what the previous generation assumes of the next generation. Um, but it's also a very male to female type of relation, a power dynamic as well. You're a woman, you don't know. You're, you're young, you don't know. You're, you know, um, it, it all works in there. And so you have these three women who are going on a very different versions of a similar journey in many ways, who are now kind of their worlds are colliding, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love Selena's relationship with Antonia because there's time and time again in this book when Selena gives Antonio and Antonia an order and to Antonia it's the complete opposite of what she do and it's oftentimes it's like I need you to stay here I need you to not accompany me I need you and Antonia keeps saying don't you trust me And Selena keeps trying to reiterate the point, of course, I trust you. And I trust that you're going to be the one to survive this. And that's why I need you to stay here because I need someone who I, Selena can trust to come out of this because I don't know if I'm gonna live. And I love that sort of dichotomy of, of, you know, because it it happens all the time, parents and children, bosses and, and, uh, you know, subordinates, um, bosses and employees where it's this, I know you think that you should be doing this, but I need you to do this instead. Um, I and I, I, like. What are you talking about? Mm-hmm. Um, I just love that, that dynamic between the two of them. Um, it's, it's great. And, it's, and not only that, but it doesn't breed mistrust between them. It mm-hmm. breeds further trust. Yeah. Like, and that's, that's really... It's not something one that you see in mafia stories, uh, yeah. in general. You know, in in most mafia stories, mafia is all about betrayal. Eventually, the person who was your best friend is going to betray you and kill you, or you're going to betray them and either kill them or tell someone to kill them. Like it's that's generally ninety percent of the time how it happens. And in this case, this is a relationship that kind of flies in the face of it. Um, and there is a parallel to that on some level with uh, Aiko and Selena and also Aiko and Stephanie Brown, who later comes into the story yeah. as this sort of headstrong next generation um, vigilante and what that means. And as someone that Selena used to look after and no longer does, mm. because she's given up that part of her life on some level and left her to Batman, so to speak. Yeah, there's a lot of mentor-mentee relationships in here. I do want to move on to the second portion of this story, which I don't want to say it stumbles a little bit, but it becomes a more traditional superhero thing for me. There's a lot more costume in it, yeah. um, which, um, and the artist changes over. um, And I don't think it creates a dissonance because you can sort of see the story building to this point where all of a sudden costumes become necessary but I still I missed in the second portion the thing that I missed in the second portion of this story was just that sort of political 
backstabbing and this sort of, you know, 14th century war of the roses and the Plantagenets and the Tudors and all of that kind of thing. I have some questions about the the change in the stories Mm because I do wonder if on some level, for whatever reason, the publisher, DC Comics, told the creative team, hey, we know you're going on this journey, but we need you to get there faster. If at some point there was a directive of of uh, hit the gas, um, because in the second arc, to our earlier points, Selena decides she's going to be in the suit again, and she's going to be both Catwoman and the head of this crime family. Um, can she balance both lives, or will one distract from being the other, and someone gets killed, and those become different stakes and different type, a, a different version of this story? Um, but the arcs with Antonia are still very straight through and the arcs with Aiko are very straight through. But then yes, you add in Black Mask, big character. If you saw you know, Harley Quinn and the Birds of Prey, uh, the emancipation of Harley Quinn and Birds of Prey or Birds of Prey and the fantabulous emancipation of, of Harley Quinn, I can never I remember. I think in the second weekend it was released, it became Harley Quinn, some subtitle birds of prey what a, what a terribly marketed film for such a good film too um but um but so you'll recognize them from from the big screen there or if you've got hbo max from the small screen and roman sionis the black mask is a very deep history with catwoman lore so if you are a longtime fan of the character you'll pick up on the fact that you know in many ways Black Mask has emerged as sort of the arch nemesis for Selena Kyle and Catwoman. Um, you know, Batman is a love interest. He's not really a, he's not an enemy, so to speak. Yeah. Um, it's, it's really Black Mask. And I agree. And then you bring in Cobble, you know, the Penguin, Oswald Cobblepot. You bring in Killer Croc in that second arc. You definitely get more into the superhero, supervillain um, catalog, if you will. Um, going into this crime story. So it becomes a little bit less of, of one genre and more of another. And the art change, I agree with you. I think the art change absolutely reflects that. In- yeah, I do think that it was, I, I, I do think there was uh, editorial influence in the story as far as like, hey, let's, you know, we got to get, Selena back in the costume. We've got to do these things. Um, obviously, I'm not. I don't work at DC. I have no idea what the actuality of it is. Well, it's it's fascinating because we talk a little bit about last week. You know, the this is where we'll get a little bit more inside baseball. And this is not. You know, the next part of this discussion is not about your enjoyment as a reader. You know, as a reader, you can go pick this up and you're fine, and you don't have to do anything. But it's, it's kind of fascinating when you look at the context of when something is published, right? So this was, uh, this run began, I want to say uh, around like May, 2015, May or June. Um, Probably somewhere in there. Let me see if I, I, I will look it up as you talk. So DC Comics was in the midst of a brand new publishing initiative. Uh, that this title came out with, that Genevieve Valentine and Gary Brown uh, was brought on. It was called DCU. And DCU was their campaign to shake up the status quo 
of all their stories for the most part and to try and create a more um, uh, diversive uh, line of characters, of creators to be a very more inclusive landscape. And they did this as a way of trying to generate sales um, for two reasons. One, DC Comics had gone through a reboot in 2011, so about three, four years earlier. Um, and they were worried that sales were getting a little stale, that the reboot had kind of lost its luster. Two, DC Comics had uprooted its roots from New York City to Burbank, California to be closer to Warner Brothers Television and Film, their parent company. In so doing, though, they had to pause their entire publishing line for about three months um, for an event called Convergence, which was run by three editors because they didn't know which creative teams and what editorial staff were going to still be with the company. And Convergence was an abject failure that drove away a ton of DC fans. And so DCU comes out and Batman is no longer Bruce Wayne, it's Commissioner Gordon. Superman is lesser powered and a vagrant. Um, Batgirl gets moved to a different neighborhood changes up her whole costume and is the Batgirl of Burnside. You have new books like Cyborg, Black Canary, Prez, um, and every book gets a fresh direction. And so this run of Catwoman was part of the DCU landscape. The problem being that the DCU landscape, while it created a lot of good books, they end up getting a ton of cancellations very quickly after about six months. Um, and so what the editorial involvement in this series was as a result of DCU not being the sales and critic success that DC needed, I would be fascinated to learn because it does feel like there's a little bit of a shift in here. It was also fast coming up. I think within six months, Rebirth was fast coming up. Well, they had to do Rebirth because DCU was such a problem for them. Like it, it really didn't generate what they wanted it to. They had promised 12 issues of every series and most of them got canceled to six issues because yeah, they it had the sales gun. It had gone, I think, I think there were maybe three or four months between Convergence, probably six months between Convergence and Rebirth. Um, and they were probably more than that. I'm, I'm, we'll, we'll look it up. We'll look it up. Um, we'll look it up now. Um, but I think there were a lot of things, there were a lot of storylines where people were told, let's go, let's, we got, you know, we got this and we'll put, you know. Convergence ends May, 2015. Okay. Starts um, May 25th, 2016. Okay, so there was a year. Okay. There was a year, basically. And so they were trying out these different directions for other titles in DCU, and the sales were failing miserably. And it's unfortunate because there were a lot of really, really strong books being presented, Starfire by Amanda Connor being one. Mm -hmm. um, but they didn't get a fair shake. They got rushed. And DC said, well, now that we're set up in our new place, we're going to go back and hit the not quite reboot, but close enough, like a relaunch button on everything in 2016. 
And unfortunately, storylines like this with Selena as a mob boss became a bit of a casualty in there yeah. um, from a publishing history. Um, I think there were other things that became casualties as well. Megan, uh, I think Prez, Grayson, um, you know, the list just goes on and on and on. Prez was a great book. Great book. It was Grayson. Grayson was 99% a great book. There were a couple of things that happened towards the end when the original creative team left where I was like, why'd you do that? But um, yeah, um, I think that this is one of those conversations and I've had this conversation, I had this conversation with Kelly maybe three comics corners ago. um, And I am one of those people and what we try to do in comics corner is just find somebody a really great story to read regardless of continuity. There are great stories that I do not recommend um, for Comics Corner because they do require some knowledge of continuity. And I don't want to do that to somebody. Um, and while I do believe that writers should respect what has come before and we should not just sort of get rid of storylines that have come before, um, we will, I, I do think um, I'm not a huge continuity person. I'm, I'm, I'm more, I'm more impressed by continuity of character than I am by somebody who can rattle off, you know, well, in this book, in this storyline, this person said this, and you've contradicted it three years later with this story. I'm like, all right, I get it. Um, well, with continuity, but- there, there comes into a uh you continuity is also a symptom of fandom of a very specific kind which is uh in in all fandoms fans feel a sense of ownership of the character or of the property it's a very personal relationship and they feel a sense of connectedness that on some level says, well, I know who this character is and you're changing this character. Therefore, you are changing my connection to it. You're threatening it. You know, change can be very threatening to a lot of people. And especially when you take comfort or inspiration or escapism in your fandom and then you feel like it's being threatened by that change. Um, In my opinion, this is one person's opinion and so sometimes we they they tend to lean on the idea of continuity as um well you're disrespecting it you're you know you're not honoring it and you're ignoring it therefore you're ignoring this character and you're saying that my version of the character doesn't matter anymore that my fandom doesn't matter that my batman doesn't matter my catwoman doesn't matter and it's, it's this incredible entitlement out there that, quite frankly, you always have to remember that your version of the character was not the first version of the character. It was somebody else's version. And, and the more you do explore the lengthy publishing history of characters like Catwoman, um, you find out that this character has gone through so many changes and evolutions and means something different to different people of different generations when you experience them. And that's not a bad thing. That is in fact a necessity. Um, 
but it, it goes into very, uh, very difficult uh, aspects of, of fandom in the industry today. Yeah, this is, these are very complicated and nuanced things. Um, and I understand that and no disrespect to anybody. I would be fascinated though, like, <laughs> I'm gonna just take this conversation in a, to a bizarre place for a second, but I would be fascinated to, I don't think there's ever been a, like Lawrence Olivier was never like, how dare they do Othello like that? That's not what, that's not what Othello is. Like you would never see that. And I'm really no. fascinated that, you know, the, those sort of conversations about reinterpretation of character and theme and... Uh, music is the same way, you know, when you have bands that cover a different song and put their own spin to it and changes, you know, the emotional experience version to version, um, you, know, you don't necessarily see the same sort of, the, the same reaction to someone as as it relates to their comics fandom or certain, you know, Star Wars or Star Trek is a big one too with so many different versions now of the characters out there, I think is a, a very close comparison um, to what that means of multiple timelines, multiple, therefore multiple continuities. And unfortunately, you know, sometimes it breeds very negative and harmful behavior um, which obscures all of the phenomenal love and passion uh, and altruism that comes with these fandoms as well. And it's, it's, a very, it's a very now muddy and at times feels very dangerous water, depending on what part of fandom you wade into, which is very disappointing in many ways that, that you get to that point. And it's, it's one of those like, you can respect continuity and still allow a character to evolve and to change and to try new things. Um, and they will produce great, great results. And this is a, a perfect example of, of a great result due to the evolution of storytelling and the willingness to evolve a character. Yeah, I mean, one, that's why I don't go on social media um, because okay, I just- see a lot of it on there, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'll get things sent to me from people who are, you know, because obviously I'm a huge fan of Wonder Woman. Um, you know, right now we're in the midst of WandaVision and I'm a huge fan of Wanda. She's been my favorite Avenger for about 30 years now. Um, Have you ever read House of M? Okay, you did not just say that to me. As, as you all know from previous times. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Um, my head is about to explode all over the screen. Um, okay, so, so let's bring it back. Let's bring it back to let's bring it back. Um, so it. one, that's why I stay off. So people do send me, you know, articles and and links to threads on Twitter or whatever. Um, but what's the thing that I sort of find really fascinating, and I didn't, I remember this conversation sort of taking place at comic book stores, because obviously this is before the, the internet, but when Crisis on Infinite Earths happened back in 85, 84? 86, 85, uh, yeah. I, okay, because I think the new Wonder Woman, I think the Perez Wonder Woman was launched 86. 
And that was one of the last series to come back. So anyway, irrelevant to the story, but like this was sort of taking place in local comic shops at the time. And I remember people being very upset because they were like, well, that means all of these golden age stories didn't happen. And I was like, it's not like the story, it's not like the, because the stories didn't happen in continuity, that the books disappear out of your collection. It's not like you can't read those stories anymore and enjoy them for fuck's sake. I mean, and it's one of those things that I sort of will have to bleep that. Um, this is one of those things that I'm sort of like, I get really fascinated by that sense of. You're not um, killing a character. You know, you're not killing a character. You're not erasing content from ever being published to your point. Yeah, it's, and it, it, but to me, it's like. All those stories. Yeah, it's not like you can't enjoy those stories. No. And I maybe maybe the people who said that were collectors and they like, you know, read the books once and then put them away because they were, you know, older books and they didn't want to touch them again. And I understand that. Um, but it's not like, you know, when Crisis on Infinite Earths happened and all of like that whole previous, you know, 320 some odd, no, Wonder Woman issues. Years of of publishing history. Was yeah, it wasn't like it wasn't like I put all my Wonder Woman comics in a box and marched them to the garbage and was like, I can never read these again because they didn't happen in continuity. And it's just sort of this fascinating thing. But I find as I get older, um, as I get old, because I'm already older, but I find that I. It's there's there's this really sort of fascinating um, friction in fandom, which is kind of interesting. You know, um, I have you know people that I know and, and friends and acquaintances who like have to buy every issue, whether they like it or not, because it has particular characters in it or it's a comic book that they've been collecting for years. And back in the seventies, you know, I was one of those people, I would buy like completely random issues of, of, you know, Marvel team up because the Scarlet Witch was in it or Valkyrie was in it or Hellcat was in it. Um, and I would, you know, sort of jump in and out of, of things based on who guest stars were. It's not like I bought every issue of, of Justice League when I was a kid. And I don't know if maybe that's why I have such a different I think it is because you have you have a different relationship to the character and to the the physical product than than that collector mentality. To is I go in and I buy two copies of everything, one to never be opened, one to be read. Both of them will be stored separately and and everything. And you and and it's one of those things where it and I think that's that's part of the psychology you get into, which is that you have a routine. And you have something that brings you comfort that you feel safe um, doing, and it's it's you know it's ritual. And then, for whatever reason, you feel that your ritual is being threatened. This source of comfort is being threatened. This this place where you feel important because of your knowledge, because of your your understanding and your community if you will, that you give yourself an importance because you know these things, that suddenly 
you don't know these things, right? It's changing. Well, if it's changing, then does my knowledge no matter no longer count? Am I no longer, you know, the person that knows the most about Batman, you know, of anyone out there? Um, what does that make me? And why is my comfort, why is my ritual that I take great joy in changing and being disrupted? And that can feel threatening because some people put their sense of self-worth in their fandoms um, for whatever reasons. You know, I'm, there's no, I'm not going to judge the reasons that you do that, but some people really do. They take their sense of self-worth and they put it in their fandom. And so when they feel like their fandom is threatened, they feel like they're, they are being threatened. And I use the term threatened with quotation marks on them because we all know you're not actually being threatened. That's bullshit. Um, um, my, so one of the things um, that we always try to do here on Comics Corner is I just want to recommend a story that I think is really good and really interesting and that the person is going to read and enjoy. Um, it's done completely without, yes, a lot of them are DC because I've read DC for a very long time, um, you know, um, but I do it without reference to continuity, without reference to um, anything other than is this person going to enjoy the book? Are you going to have um, a good experience reading it? You know, yeah. that, that's the question. And a lot of the people who have been on the show are new to comics or have kind of dipped their toe in the, the comics pond, um, which by the way, never put your comics in a pond, um, really, really bad for the paper. Um, but you know, people who have kind of- Destroyed the comic, in which case it's a perfectly legitimate thing to do. That's true. Um, who have dipped their toe into the comics world off and on and maybe haven't necessarily found something that they're really interested in. Um, and the rule that I sort of always gave people when I was working in a comic shop and the rule that I gave myself, quite frankly, when I was working in the bookstore is not, you know, is this a really long series? It's, are you going to enjoy it? And if you're going to enjoy it, do it. When you stop enjoying something, stop doing it. You know, if you don't. It gets good again. Well, I am one of those people, and Matthew knows this, because there are times when I've literally, you know, I bought this book every when I bought this comic every Wednesday for the last three years, and all of a sudden I just don't buy it anymore. And everybody's sort of like, why aren't you buying that? And it's like, I'm just not enjoying it right now. And so I'm going to try something else. And I will go back to it when I start enjoying it again. Maybe that's the creative team. Maybe I just need to give myself a break from something. Um, but I, I think if you're not enjoying something, um, if you're not enjoying a comic, just- There are plenty of other things out there for you to enjoy and spend your money on. Yeah. And that's what your local comic book store is there for. Ask the staffs, like if, you, if you're having an experience where you're like, you know what, this isn't for me anymore, Ask them for recommendations and they will find something uh, that you have an experience that you will really enjoy. And that's okay. Um, so I do want to, I think we should, um, I do want to actually get to this question before, because this is a question that I do ask at the end of, uh, as we near the end of the comics corner. Um, so I recommended Catwoman, Genevieve Valentine, volume, I think it's volume six, six. and seven. 
Mm-hmm. Um, did you enjoy it? Did I, I make a good it. recommendation? I, I enjoyed it. Um, I would I would definitely recommend this to somebody that um, enjoys mafia stories, that likes a mix of kind of crime and, and superhero, um, that's looking for, you know, a very great exploration of female relationships within male-dominated fields. I think those are handled incredibly well. Um, so I would, I would absolutely recommend this book. I don't know if it would be the number one Catwoman recommendation I would have for the character, but I do, I would recommend this book. Yeah. There's other amazing Catwoman. I mean, as you said, the Darwin Cook, Selena's big score is fantastic. Um, and, uh, once you read that, read Darwin Cook's Jeff Parker, uh, the Parker series. Um, so good. So good. good. Um, so there's a lot of, of stuff that goes into it. I, I just love this and I thought it was a nice companion piece to Gotham Central, which we just. Fascinating. I think it's a fascinating companion piece in many ways due to the art style and the storytelling. Um, when you look at the evolution over the course of 10 years of comic storytelling and comics writing, um, I think it's it's a really nice juxtaposition. And I don't know that you get this version of Catwoman without the influences of things like Gotham Central mm-hmm. and the thumbprints that um, Edgar Baker and Greg Rucka had made a decade before on the DC universe. So I do I do love... I do love seeing the progression and I will call it a progression of the industry over, you know, between these two series. So I thank you very much for that. Well, thank you. Um, Should we recommend, so we recommended one crime book last time. Uh, Should we recommend, um, should we recommend another crime book? I feel like. just recommended Parker. I know. I almost feel like we should recommend something completely different this time. I, okay, so here's what I'm going to throw out there. Go ahead. Let's recommend a story that we normally wouldn't recommend because it's so continuity heavy. But you're, it's one of those things where you're like, I just love this book. Interesting. Okay. Hmm. Do you have something in mind since you're asking? I do. So for me, and I don't, it's, it's something that you can jump into, but there's so much history with that, with it. I'm going to recommend the Kurt Busiek, George Perez Avengers run. Interesting. It's, it's one of those things that I wouldn't recommend to someone to jump into without having some previous knowledge of the Avengers, um, especially due to the personal relationships um, that go on in there. There's a whole lot of stuff in there, but I just think it's, it's one of those things that if you're into comics, if you, especially if you started Avengers after that, where it jumped into the new Avengers by um, Brian Bendis. And uh, I can't remember the artist on that, but it comes, I'm I'm sorry. Was it Mike Diodato? It wasn't Diodato. I want to say it was well, they were on Fitch. Dark Avengers together. They did Dark. They Avengers. were on Dark Avengers. I yeah. think New Avengers was Bendis and David Finch. Sure. I'm not positive about that. But anyway, um, I would highly, highly recommend the Kurt Busiek, um, George Perez Avengers. It's one of those ones that manages to combine a very sort of classic feel with a very modern 
twist. Um, but again, not something that I would say like, start I like here. I, I like it. Um, all right, I will, uh, I'm gonna see that. I'm gonna raise you. Oh, of course. The 52 weekly series. Oh, good choice. It, so DC Comics, for, for you dear listeners, the backstory is that DC Comics did a weekly comic book s- series. So it's 52 issues. They had four writers and a rotating group of artists to make sure everything came out on time, um, including Greg Rucka, who wrote, uh, co-wrote Gotham Central, Grant Morrison, Jeff Johns, and uh, Keith Gibbons. Um, Keith, uh, uh, Dan Jurgens. Dan Jurgens. Was it Dan Mark Durgan? Wade was a writer on it. And Mark Wade too. Yeah. It was the writers were Jeff Morrison. Johns, Grant Morrison, Greg Rucka, Mark Wade, and then Keith Warren. Keith Giffins was on there too. Keith Giffen did all of the layouts for the artists. The artists. Okay, gotcha. Thank you. So it follows basically um, the DC universe for a year where there is no Batman, Wonder Woman, or Superman. And you are following many, many different timelines. And it is the direct result of a line-wide or universe-wide crossover called Infinite Crisis. So I would never recommend that you start with 52 in any way, shape, or form. Because it does include a lot of references to that event. But it is a phenomenal accomplishment in the realm of comics that arguably that feat of a weekly comic by so many writers with so many characters the quality has not been matched since. And reason I say that is because this Catwoman run technically comes after a series called Batman Eternal, which was meant to be kind of a weekly series for Batman where Catwoman is a major star and you learn about her mob. Uh, you learn that she's the daughter of the Calabresi family. So that's my, that's how I got from, that's my six degrees of separation, my two degrees. Or two degrees of separation. Excellent. Um, well, thank you so much for joining us. Please do follow us on our socials um, at The Cruelest Month on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Um, I, I don't, I think we're not on I TikTok. don't know any other social media platforms. In the meantime, support your local comic book store. Um, and again, buy buy this run of Catwoman by Genevieve Valentine and get out there and let us know what you think of this read. Don't just yes. listen to us. Give us this interactive people. Yes. So. Um, so thank you for joining us, Mr. Klein. Um, and uh, we will see you on the next Comics Corner. Stay safe, y'all.